We started our series last week looking in the book of Galatians, and we said some general things about it that I want to uh, make mention of today as we get started. This letter, the New Testament, is very unique because it was written in response to one very specific problem in the early church. And so we're looking at this to help us get a perspective on what real Christianity is really all about. Now, last week we mentioned there are two brands of Christianity. The religion brand, where I'm working to make God happy and performing and it's all about me, or the relationship brand, where I just accept what God has done. So it's kind of like I either have to do or I just accept. And that's what brings us into a life-giving relationship with God. I don't have to perform. And, and even when I do the right things in life, I'm not doing them because I have to, but because I want to, because I'm living out of a relationship with God. And when I do these right things, I'm doing them because I want to. I want to please God. I want to show Him my appreciation for all He's done for me. Like any other relationship, like in, in my marriage, my wife is so good to me in so many ways, it, it, it just makes something rise up within me to want to bless her, to want to appreciate her. Well, it's the same way with our relationship with God. The relationship brand of Christianity is where it is. Now, Paul wrote this book to tell us about it. Today, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, and for next week, it's chapter 3, so I encourage you, read ahead, chapter 3 in the book of Galatians next week. Now, if this is your first Sunday, I want you to get the backstory real quick on what took place behind the writing. Paul started churches around the Mediterranean world in this region of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. He planted churches there, and then he kept in contact with them and the pastors there, and he wrote some of the letters that became our scripture in the New Testament today. Well, a problem arose where these Jewish Christians came to the churches and said, hey, you Gentiles, which means you're not a Jew, Gentile is everybody but the Jews. You Gentile believers, we're glad you're in the family, but now you got to live like we have, and you've got to add these laws to what you've been doing. And so these guys came along, and they just really started to mess things up. People were just enjoying their life with God and walking with Him, and they said, no, you got to start keeping all of these laws and doing these very specific things. Well, last week we addressed this, how wrong that is and how much that can hurt us. And so if you weren't here, we don't do this very often, but I urge you, I urge you, go online, listen to last week's message. It is so important. It's so foundational. It's so much a part of who we are at Ignite and what we believe. All right, so today, chapter two, moving forward, Paul talks early in this chapter about how God called him to go to the non-Jewish people of the world, the Gentile people all over the Mediterranean world. And when he went there, he did not require them to follow the Jewish laws that he was used to following. He just said, you have a relationship with Jesus through faith, and that's all you have to do. But these rule followers messed up the churches and went and stirred things up. And it was so bad, it became kind of widespread. And even some of the major leaders of the early church got trapped into it. Well, this was such a big deal that Paul went out of his way to go confront these leaders publicly because what they were doing would kill the church, would kill people, would, people would just lose hope and lose life because they're back to rule-keeping and hoping they can make God happy. And so this is such a big deal he called them out publicly, and we're going to read their names thousands of years later this morning. Just want you to get an idea of how big a deal 
this is, okay? All right, so Paul in chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. So, Peter would hang out with the Gentile believers. They were Christians. They just weren't Jews, right? So Peter would hang out with them. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. He says, Peter pulled back. It's like you have two trees. We looked at that last week, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God wants us to live here and not try to figure it out and do it on ourselves. And it's like there's a vine in between them, and living a life is the way, but we can get trapped, we can get tricked, or we can just get led astray and like swing to the wrong tree over there. And that's what Peter had done. Now, the, uh, the last phrase said that um, the Jewish clique had been pushing the Gentiles to be circumcised. They were not circumcised, so these men were hearing this. And we talked about that uncomfortable subject last week, so we'll just move along today. Chad did a great job last week, so I'm just going to move along. Let me finish the passage here. Paul goes on. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. And so this is a big deal. Paul is calling out his brothers because they're leading the people the wrong way. Peter pulled back. He started living that old life-sucking, rule-keeping, performance-based mentality and thinking, oh, I can't hang out with the Gentiles. I need to be with the really holy guys, the Jews who keep all these laws and stuff. Well, the practical application comes down to this. Do I try to be godly by depending on God's strength, or do I do it on my own strength? Do I do the right thing with my own strength, or do I let God do it through me? I got to go on a nice vacation, and uh, probably like you, and I'm on vacation, after a little while, it's just... You just kind of relax and chill, and things just kind of fade. I didn't entirely forget about y'all. I just didn't think about you quite as much. And so it just got really refreshed and came back. And so after we were back, I'm, I'm in the building here, and I noticed something I don't like. And so I thought, hmm, I'm going to fix this. So I get on the phone, you know, call up this friend who wasn't just someone in the church. He was a friend. And I said, hey, what's up with this? And he's like, well, da 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 I said, well, I don't like it. da 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 You need to change that. And believe it or not, my friend pushed back on me. Can you believe that? And he says, well, da 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 And so I took it up another notch. Well, da 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 And then suddenly I realized, I'm an idiot. Why am I being so intense about this thing? Well, I swung from the tree of life over there to death, and I was reacting. I was not responding the correct way. I pulled back. I didn't stay dependent on God's strength to stay in life. So how do we keep from pulling back? First off, it's what we talked about last week, understanding Christianity is a relationship with God. It's not rules. And so that's where Paul is going to go next in chapter 2 of Galatians. He's going to kind of refresh it a little bit for them. He goes on in chapter 2. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? 
We tried it, and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Paul's saying, we tried it for centuries and failed. We were never a people that was really holy and really following God. He goes on. He says, convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not trying to be good. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it just didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Oh, that's just so powerful. Speaks so much. Paul's saying, you know, I just realized I can't please God. I'll never be right with God on my own, so I've got to trust in Jesus. I've got to trust in the Messiah. But there's this ongoing tension. Once we are a believer, there is this ongoing tension to want to do things in my own strength. I want to keep the law. How do I actually, practically, how do I really quit being a lawman, like Paul said, and start living in life? Is, is there a secret to this? You know, how, okay, what's the secret? How, how do I live in that tree of life and stay there? Well, yes, there's a secret, but I've got to get a big disclaimer right now. It's tough. All right, it is challenging. It's not the kind of message you would preach every Sunday if you want to grow a big church. No, 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 it's not. It's just not that way. On the other hand, it's the kind of message you preach if you want to help your people grow and experience the life God has for them. After the decision to follow Jesus, this thing we're going to talk about that's a discipline based on the principle that we're seeing in the Word, this can change your life. After saying yes to God, come into my life for the forever relationship with him, this discipline on a daily basis can change your life. You don't have to be the same person. I'm not saying you're horrible, but we all know we haven't arrived. We've got issues. We, we need something different. So a little further into chapter 2, we get the secret. And here it is. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Let's pause right there. Crucified? I, I don't remember you know, being nailed to a cross. What's, what's he talk about? And that's such strong language, crucified with Christ. Not just put to death, but crucified, that brutal, horrible form of, of execution that the Romans used. He's saying, I've been crucified, and I no longer live. I'm dead. Yeah, that's what God's trying to get us to see, that just like Jesus was willing to be nailed to the cross to give control to those who were nailing him, right? Just like he was willing to do that, he's saying, I can be willing to, quote, live like a dead man every day. I can be that way because I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I can relinquish control to God on a daily basis. Jesus relinquished control to man. You and I get to relinquish control to God. We learn the art of dying. Let me say that again. We learn the art of dying, of living this crucified life. Dead men don't do like I do and get tacky with their friends. Dead men don't get jealous. Dead men aren't greedy. They're dead. And Paul is telling us here, that's how we are and how we can live. Let me go on with the rest of this great passage, this great verse. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I live in the body, meaning here on earth, this life I'm living here, actually, I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't live it on my own strength. I don't try to do the right thing on my own strength. I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When I was a teenager, I had a great pastor, Brother Bob, we called him. And uh, Brother Bob preached a message on this. And I, can't, I don't remember a lot other from the message other than that he landed on this passage and he said, church, if you'll embrace this, it'll change your life. I pray it every morning. And then he painted this picture. Before I even open my eyes in the morning, I try to pray this prayer. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. That's what we're talking about, this mentality, this daily mentality. This concept can be called living the crucified life. You see the, the kind of cool contrast there? You're living but it's a dead life, okay? Living the crucified life. And everybody goes, oh, this sounds great. I go, I get it. I get it. It's heavy stuff. Well, Jesus talked about this, and he challenged his own disciples big time. Let's look at what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 16. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. So Jesus is trying to make it crystal clear to his disciples. He's hoping they understand it and can get a hold of it because it was different from their expectation. The Jews expected God to send a Messiah who was going to set them free from Roman occupation, and they'd be that independent country again with God blessing them, and nobody would be running their show, where Jesus is saying, no, I've come to be the Messiah to die for the sins of the world. And so they're, 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 he was rocking their world <laughs> big, big time, and look what one of them did. Let's read on. But Peter... Second time Peter blew it in today's message. Too bad, Peter. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Can you imagine correcting God? Saying, no, no, God, you got it all wrong. No, 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 no. I mean, just, just the audacity. I mean, you know, he could become a grease spot like that, but he's just, you know, he's doing this. Amazing. Look what he says. He says, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Again, such strong language. And did Peter suddenly become the devil? No, of course not. But he was letting the devil, the enemy, influence his words in response to what Jesus was saying. And so Jesus rebukes that spirit of the enemy. And he goes on. He doesn't just say, get away from me. He goes on and says, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view. Not from God's. He's saying, Peter, you're too much alive, dude. You're, you're, you're over here in the death tree. I'm trying to tell you what's going to bring life to the world. But you're, you're over here because you, you just won't embrace what I'm trying to tell you. You're thinking from a human perspective. Jesus goes on now. Then Jesus said to his disciples, hold on. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Wow. Sign me up. I, I, that's exciting. I, you know, first in life, you know, it's, it's like an invitation to your own funeral. That's kind of what this is. And again, he's wanting it to be so clear. He's using strong language with these, with these men. The Romans occupied Jerusalem and Israel, 
And when they execute people, they do it on a cross. Nobody had ever done that before, and it was a horrible way to die. And Jesus is saying, take up your cross, just like those criminals that the Romans execute in a horrible, brutal way. You be willing to die. Take up your cross and follow me. Give up your own way of life. Wow, that is just so strong. But you know what? It's the way to life. It's the way to real life, the life Jesus called the abundant life that he came to give us. So now Jesus gives them a little carrot at the end. He always is that way. He gives us the hard stuff and says, but here's, here's where you're heading. Here's where it gets you. Look at the very last verse. If you try to hang on to your life, to control your life, to do it your way on your strength, you will lose it. But. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you'll give it up, say, okay, God, it's all you. Take me today. Help me. Help me today. So if I can get my head around this art of dying, learning to live this crucified life, the end result is amazing. I can have the abundant, full, free life God wanted me to do, wants me to have. You know, if I'd have been a little more dead that day, I wouldn't have fussed at my friend. Now, you might be in a tough situation in your life that's just kind of dominating your mentality, and I get that, and it's fine to want life to change, but today we're talking about the other side of the coin because you and I need to change. That's what this is about. Our circumstances can change, but that doesn't change us and who we are and how we live in this life. In order for me to really change, something has to die. In order for you or me to really change, something has to die. Paul mentioned this in a number of the letters that became our scripture. In Romans chapter 6, look what Paul said. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Paul is saying, just like a literal dead man doesn't have any issues, any problems, or any temptations, we can live that way. We can live like we were dead, and these things all around us don't push us the wrong. Excuse me. They don't push us the wrong way. I can live free of all that. I love that last phrase. Anyone who has died has been freed from sins. And that phrase earlier, we are no longer slaves to sin. So. If this is the key, if this is the secret, living the crucified life, how do we do it? I want to give you some steps. Number one, crucify self. We need to take this word crucify and apply it in three levels in our life. It appears in three major ways in this book of Galatians, this letter. We already read the first one, I'm crucified with Christ. Look at this verse Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, I die every day. Not only did he say I'm crucified with Christ, but every day I die. You remember when you... uh, Began your relationship with God. You prayed, come into my life, Jesus, help me. Well, that's what we're talking about every day. Lord, help me today. Help me today. I want to die to myself and and live for you. Help me to meet you, God. Help me to recognize you. and Help me to respond to you throughout my day. Now, this prayer lasts about 24 hours. And just like Pastor Bob taught me as a teenager, every morning, this is a great prayer, Lord. Today, help me. Today, work in my life. So what's the actual look of this step of 
crucifying the self, humility. We're talking about an attitude here as much as anything else. It's the attitude that I can't deal with my issues on my own. God, help me. Help me. You know that day I fussed at my friend, a little humility? I wouldn't have gone there. I would not have gone there. All right? Crucify self. Number two, crucify my flesh. Now, that term flesh in the Bible refers to the part of me that still wants to sin. Yes, I've been made new, but I still live in this body, and I still have these human things in me. And so that's what the flesh is, the out-of-control passions and desires that can really hurt me. Paul said this a little bit later in Galatians. He said, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the sinful nature, with its passions and desires. They're put to death, those passions and desires, those things in our flesh and our humanity. And so you, you may have heard someone say something like this. Hey, I know I've got a bad temper. My dad did. My granddad. We're just a family of fiery, red-headed Irishmen or whatever. Like that's an excuse. But it's not. Or, or the religious cop-out talk. Well, I'm just a sinner after all. So I give myself a pass and I can sin and do anything I want because I'm just a sinner. I, I don't have to sin. No. Pardon me, I'm a sinner. I can sin. No, the opposite is true. You're a child of God. You don't have to sin. You don't have to blow it. You don't have to fuss at your friend when you're a little unhappy about some little thing. We don't have to live there. We can be different. So God, help me with this thing that's out of control in me, this, this passion, this desire, maybe an addiction. God, it's, it, it's in me and it's messing me up. That's how I put to death my out-of-control passions. So what's the action step? What are we doing when we're saying we want to crucify the flesh? We're making the right choices. We're saying, Lord, help me choose to not fuss at my friend, but to be gentle, to be kind. Help me to choose your way today. Help me to choose to swing back and stay in this tree of life. Help me, Lord. Help me make that right choice. Then number three, what's the third thing we need to crucify? The world. Crucify the world. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul said this, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, the phrase here, the world, is referring to all the stuff that's in the world that can be okay to a point, but then can really mess you up. All the pleasures, possessions, power, all that stuff, that's the world, okay? And Paul is saying, I've died to that. I'm crucified to that. That doesn't control me anymore. He's saying he has a world filter, a world filter, especially I'm thinking over the mind, okay? And so you know what? I need a world filter. You need a world filter. We need to live dead to the world, where it's not controlling us. There's just some things in the world I don't do. I don't hang around. I don't go to some places. I, I just don't go there. And you might be thinking, oh, Ed, come on. This sounds so legalistic, such a killjoy, so judgmental. And you're right. It is judgmental. I'm judging me. I'm saying I might not can handle this thing, this thing may not be good for me, so because of that, I'm going to filter it out. I'm not even going to go there, do that, whatever. 
It's judging me. It's that attitude we talked about earlier, that humility. You're not going to live your life in freedom if you let Beyonce tell you how to live. (laughs) Your marriage isn't necessarily going to be blessed if you let 50 shades of gray tell you how to do marriage. This is the world. This is what I'm talking about. You might be thinking, okay, yeah, I get it. I get how some stuff in the world isn't good for me and, and I need to be free of it. Uh, how do, how, what do I, where do I start? You know what? You don't need me to tell you how to live. You've got a Bible and the Holy Spirit of God. And together they could speak to you and guide your life and show you things he wants you to filter out of your life. I, I uh, did something about this when I was a teenager. I began to realize that... As a teenager, typical teenage boy full of raging hormones, I didn't need to think about sex all the time. And that's what poppy music talks about all the time. You know, rock music talks about what they want to do, and country music talks about what they did last night. You know, it's just, it's full of it. And so at 16, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to listen to Christian music and worship music. And I did that for 39 years. 39 years. Oh, yeah, dude, you missed some great music. Yeah, maybe. But I also didn't have this thing filling my mind all the time that didn't, I didn't need, that hurt me. I was filtering it out. You might say, Ed, are you judging secular music? Again, no, I'm judging me. I was judging me and saying I need to filter that out. Now, in recent years, yeah, I'm I'm over 55. I have listened to some secular music and even bought a few albums. Maybe I'm not just so much of a stud anymore that, you know, I I can deal with it. I don't know. Here's an extra verse to help us with the action step for this point. Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. So in Paul's letter, he's quoting God speaking to his people from the Old Testament. Yes, it was about laws and stuff, but God was trying to protect them. And so he said, come out and be separate from the world. Go on. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Come out from them and be separate. The action step here in filtering the Lord is just separate yourself from whatever it is God wants you to separate yourself from. Separation. So we've said three major things. Humility, the attitude that I can't do this on my own, I need God. Choices, Lord, I want to choose your way today. And separation, I'm I'm willing to be separate from the world today. Guys, please hear me. I'm not trying to put anything on you. I'm not trying to put any control or anything on you. But your pastors and God just want to see you blessed. And that's why we have this kind of a message that, yes, it's strong and challenging, but it can lead to life. Just imagine, what would your life be like if you didn't fuss at your friend on the phone because you were a little upset about some minor thing? What what would your life be like if your passions in your flesh weren't controlling you and you weren't addicted to this thing that's not good or or just, you know, like that? What what would your life be like if, if you filtered out something from the world that was hurting you? And you began to feel free and pure and just close to God because you were willing to say no to the world. 
What would your life be like? Well, I want to suggest you pray like my pastor taught me as a teenager every day. Lord, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. And so, Lord, today you do it. You live through me. I want to suggest you try that this week. Try that every morning. Lord, I am crucified. Your word says it. Your word says that I'm not alive anymore. I can live like a dead man. I give you control. Come on, God, let's go. Y'all stand. We're going to pray. Guests, thank you again for joining us today. And if you would take that Connect card out to the cart, we'll want to give you that gift as a way of saying thank you. After I pray, we'll have prayer teams up here to your right and left who want to pray for you about anything that's uh, burning you in your life today. Get in on that if you need that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for telling us the truth that this stuff is serious. It can lead to death in our lives and mess us up. And you're telling us we don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to live rule-keeping, and we don't have to live with issues that we just put up with and they continue to hurt us. We can become free. As your word said this morning, we can be free from sinning. So Lord, right now, we just pray the simple prayer. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us today? What are you saying, Holy Spirit? I've heard what Ed said, but now I need to hear what you're saying specifically to me. Holy Spirit, where are you wanting me to cooperate with you to change me for the better, for my blessing and for your glory. Holy Spirit, what's up? Show me. Holy Spirit, today, help me to simply hear your heart and know how to get in on it in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.